0: Turn with me to Proverbs 29. Proverbs. Proverbs 29. You'll find it in 93, continuing on to 894, to 4 if you're using a pew Bible. Proverbs 29. It's on your large print sheets as well. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs uh, chapter 29, page 893 and page 894. Here now, the very Mm. Proverbs 29. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. By transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. A fool vents all his feelings but a wise man holds them back. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever rod and rebuke give wisdom but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother when the wicked are multiplied transgression increases but the righteous will see their fall correct your son and he will give you rest yes he will give delight to your soul where there is no revelation The people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. A servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the the wicked. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be focusing today on verse 25 of Proverbs 29, fear of man, trust in God, which we see that Solomon, King Solomon, contrast fearing man and trusting God. He contrasts, he paints a contrast between fearing man and trusting God. So let me ask you rhetorically this afternoon, are you ever afraid? Are you ever afraid? You know, there are many things that can frighten us. Many things in this world. We can be fearful of our health. We can be fearful with regard to school, perhaps, with regard to the future, with regard to how we're going to pay the, the rent. There are many things that can make us afraid. We can be afraid of other people. Indeed, one of the things that can make us afraid has to do with dealing with wicked men. And that's exactly what this is talking about here, the fear of man, the fear of man, particularly, of course, man or people, as they are, as we've seen here throughout this chapter, as they are not in accordance with the will of God, but rather are the wicked. Now before we get to, before we focus in on verse 25, just want very briefly, just to pay, just to look, just for a couple of minutes, at other verses in this chapter of particular interest. Notice verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And so there is, of course, this rejoicing, when we have righteous rule in our society, but just the opposite uh, when that is the case. Look at verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So in other words, if you, if you build up somebody too much, oh, you're so wonderful and everything, you flatter your neighbor, well, actually you're, you could be setting up that person for a fall. You know, the old... Uh, the old Saying, "Pride comes before fall." Verse nine: If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. Indeed, isn't that the case? Verse vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. You know the uh, uh, the old saying that uh, God gave. Man, two ears that he cannot close and one mouth that he can. Right? (laughs) A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Then look at verses uh, 15 and 17. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Children, are you listening? Do you want to be you want to bring grief to your mom? You see, and don't, don't pay attention to the discipline of her or of your father. Again, verse 17, correct your son, he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Of course, we see the rod and rebuke give wisdom. So not just the speaking, but also the rod, the, the paddle, the board of education, right? The rod, spare the rod, spoil the child. And finally, in this regard, verse 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And again, is that not what we're seeing in our society today? But happy, happy is he who keeps the law. Does our society want to be truly happy and stop rebelling, stop casting off the law of God, and start submitting to God and to his word? Let's go back then to verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So, first of all, let's look at the fear of man then. What does this involve? Well, literally, it means acting as a result of being afraid. Acting as a result of being afraid. It can mean like a fear, uh, an inappropriate fear, of what man can or will do to you. And so we can be afraid of what man can do or will do to us. And of course, this is to distrust God's care and providence for you. This is to say, I don't really trust in God's, in God's providence. You know, um, in Psalm 56 that we have sung from recently, In Psalm 56, we read, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up, All fighting all day. He oppresses me, my enemies would hound me all all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. But then the psalmist goes on to say, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? That is the believing response. But when we allow our fears to overwhelm us, to overtake us, then of course we're not really trusting in God. So, it means literally acting as a result of being afraid. But what, now let's break that down some in terms of particular particular examples. For example, being in awe of men, wanting to please them, being in awe of men so as not to want to displease them. This could be, for example, desiring an advantage, getting ahead in this life, getting ahead in this world. There are all kinds of biblical examples of even godly people, saintly people, who show their fear of man. For example, Abraham. remember Abraham in Genesis 20, how he was afraid of Abimelech and how he, he because of his fear of Abimelech, he thought Abimelech might kill him and take uh, Sarah, his wife. Uh, therefore, he said to Sarah, I pretend that you're my sister, you see, rather than actually my wife. He was afraid of Abimelech rather than trusting in God and his protection. Remember Aaron, Aaron was afraid of the people with the golden calf. They wanted this golden calf. They wanted by which to worship God. And Aaron was afraid not to give them what they wanted. He's not, the, he's not the last religious leader that has been afraid of what the people might think and therefore has given that to them rather than sticking with the word of God. But Aaron was of the people. Um, Elijah, remember Elijah. After the First Kings chapter nineteen, after that wonderful display um, in terms of uh, showing up the the um, the falseness of the gods uh, of Baal worship, and what happened right after that? Jezebel, the queen, said, "I'm going. I'm coming after you, and I'm going to kill you." And what did Elijah do? He He was afraid, and he ran away. Peter, you remember Peter, the apostle Peter? When Jesus was on trial, Luke chapter 22, he was afraid of a little maid, a little girl, who said, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter was afraid. And then later, we see that he was afraid of some of those Jewish Christians, those Judaizers, in Galatians chapter 2, in which they said that you have to follow the Jewish law in order to be a follower of Christ, and he was afraid of them, and he would not affiliate with the Gentiles. Or we can also think of one person who was not very godly at all, and that was Pontius Pilate, who was being bandied about, you know, tossed to and fro by fear, John chapter 19. He was fearful of Jesus, He was fearful of Jesus, but he was also fearful of the people, you see. And actually, that fear of man is what drove him, ultimately, to approve the crucifixion of Christ. Now, what are examples for us today, then, in terms of this principle? What about cutting corners? Like maybe shady business dealings for the boss. Okay, so your boss wants you to do something that's shady, in terms of writing down on a on an invoice or whatever it may be, cutting corners, not doing exactly what should be done in terms of construction, whatever it may happen to be, that would be you don't want to be you're afraid of man. You don't want to fall out of favor with your boss. You might get fired. That would be an example of fear of man. What about teaching or going along with what is politically correct? This could be true in the sciences, like biology. Perhaps children are going to be in a biology classroom someday, and people, the, the instructor will tell you that evolution is true. Well, no, it's not. It's false. It's a lie. Straight from the pit of hell. Are you going to go along with what the instructor says? Or, are, in other words, are you going to be fearful? Stand for the Word of God. Or politics. Politics. What is politically correct. Or entertainment. What about laughing at dirty jokes? You're afraid not to laugh when a dirty joke is told, perhaps. That would be an example of the fear of man. Or adapting worldly ways in dress or activities. Adapting worldly ways in dress or activities. Because you don't want to stand out as someone who's kind of weird, square. Not speaking up for Christ or witnessing for him when appropriate to do so. You have to be careful here. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. But there are times when you are called upon to bear witness for Christ. That's one of the challenges I have teaching in the university system of Georgia. And for the most part, I just... I just keep my own counsel, if you will. But if I'm called upon directly to give an answer, then, of course, I speak up and try not to be afraid of man with regard to that. Another example of fear of man is acting pragmatically in the church. In other words, as we mentioned um, uh, before, uh, with regard to Aaron and the golden calf. Well, that principle can apply today in terms of churches. The people want this. The people demand that. The question is, what does God demand? What does Jesus want? That's the question in terms of how we act in church and how we worship. But also, one, another fear could be that of being afraid not just of losing your job, but being afraid of torture or other persecution because of the word or the gospel. Those of us who are ordained to the eldership, including the gospel ministry, one of the vows we take is that we will hold to the truth, we will hold to the word of God and the gospel no matter what opposition may come. Thankfully, we haven't had too many occasions of that, in this country. But that could be coming. It could be coming. Let us not kid ourselves. So, these are all examples of the fear of man. And what is the result, according to this verse? The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap. It brings a snare. Well, in what way does it bring a snare? Well, first of all, because it leads to numerous sins. It leads to numerous sins. The more you succumb, the easier it is to continue in that sin. It becomes a habit. And you start to explain it away, whatever that activity is. Refusing to stand up for what's right in one point will lead to compromise across the board. was it, what Luther said that person who doesn't stand for the truth at right where the hottest battle is is not being faithful. It's easy to stand up for things that are not controversial. Right? But it's standing up for what's right at all points because when you succumb at one point, it will lead to compromise across the board. It is a snare. It's a trap. Or worldly dress or activities. Will lead to all sorts of wrong behavior. So you dress like the world, you're going to act like the world. Being ashamed of Christ in one aspect of your life can lead you to, to deny him altogether. People who are Christians, don't who are professing Christians, don't start out saying, I don't, I'm going to deny Christ today. Very few people will actually say that. But how do they get there? Because they, they compromise at one point, and another point, and another point, and then they backslide completely. Or pragmatism in the church can cause the church to lose much of its savor, much of of its um, um, uh, saltiness, lose much of its savor, including its preservative, uh, acting as a preservative in terms of society as well as the fact that, of course, it means that we're not doing what is right before God. And another thing that we need to realize is that a compromised will lead people away from the gospel. See, why do people want to compromise? Because of fear of man, but part of that fear of man is, well, I I shouldn't be too strict. We can't be too strict you see, because then people aren't going to want to come and and join us. We want them to come and be part of our church and so forth, right? But actually what happens is that when you have a compromised witness, ultimately people are not going to come, they're not going to be attracted to that anyway. For one thing, they, they will sense that. But for another thing, it's only when we present the demands of Christ the sovereignty of God, the grace of God in the gospel. That is what is going to attract people to the church, the pure gospel and the pure practice of worship. So a compromised witness actually will lead people away from the gospel, and it's a snare not only, therefore, for the one who is compromising, but it's a snare for others as well. So it leads to numerous sins, but it also, secondly, guarantees certain punishment. It guarantees certain punishment. Sin brings punishment. Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. Falling into sin is like falling into a pit. And you know, this is going to be in contrast to what we're going to see in the second half of the verse in just a second. See where it says, "But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe." Um, actually, that the 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 uh, connotation there of being safe is that of being set on high, and so we're going to look. Or we'll see that in just a moment. But here, then, if we if we use the analogy of falling into a pit, that's actually a pretty good analogy because it's in contrast with being safely set on high, but instead sin brings punishment, you fall, not only are you not safely on high, you actually fall into a pit. And ultimately, being afraid of man shows that you don't really believe in God. Jesus said, don't fear him, Matthew 10, verse 28, don't fear him who's able to kill the body. Fear him who's able to send both body and soul to hell, namely God. So, the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe now you remember last week we looked at Proverbs 28 verse 14 happy is the man who's always reverent or who always fears in other words fears God in the proper sense of it but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity So therefore, in in the previous chapter, 28, verse 14, we have this this idea of of fearing God in the the proper way, not the slavish fear, but nevertheless, fearing God, understanding who he is, understanding that he is holy, he's infinite, he's eternal, and so forth. But that can seem a little cold, perhaps. But when we come to chapter 29, verse 25, we see, but whoever trusts in the Lord... Shall be safe. In other words, there's a warmth of trust now that the writer of Proverbs is telling us about. Now, what does this what does this mean then? To trust in God. To trust in God. You remember the disciples in Acts chapter five. You remember the disciples in Acts chapter five, and uh, when they were being persecuted, when they were uh, they were told uh, not to teach in the name of Jesus. Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Remember that? But what did they do? Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's trusting in God. So what is it? what did it mean for them? What does that mean for us? It means holding to his standards, holding to his standards. It means self-consciously desiring to please God in our trust of him. It means relying upon him for protecting us from the ways of men who do seek to destroy us. But what is the root of it all? My friends, the root of it all is trusting God for salvation, Trusting God for salvation. Trust him. Trust him as your savior. And of course that means not trusting in our own faith. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in faith. No, it's by means of looking, it's by looking to him by means of faith, looking to him who alone saves us from being cast out. And so we trust in him for our very lives, our eternal souls. And what is the result then of that? If we trust in the Lord, that person shall be safe, or as I mentioned a few moments ago, set on high, as in a stronghold, as in an impregnable mountain that cannot possibly be conquered. If you're If you're in a military situation, you have the high ground, especially if it's a a fortress and a a very difficult place to get to. It's very hard to conquer that. That's the picture that we have here in our text. It's a fortress. There's a great World War II movie. Uh, It's fiction, but it's a great movie out of World War II called Where Eagles Dare. Great movie, Uh, great adventure movie. And uh, it's about this seemingly impregnable fortress, although the, the uh, uh, good guys do uh, get there and, and uh, undermine the Nazis. But nevertheless, uh, it's one of those great, um, great movies that show how difficult it was to get up to that mountain. There was a cable car, you see, to, to access it. And that's sort of the picture that you have here. You're going to, in terms of the safety, and and unlike in that, in that World War II flick, this fortress that God provides truly is impregnable. It is unconquerable. That's the point. And so when you trust in God, whoever trusts in the Lord, in Yahweh, in Jehovah, is safe from all the power of man. But more than that, if you really trust in God, you're not only safe from the power of man, but you are safe from the fear of that power. Because the fear can, can cause us to stop, to, to, um, to doubt. But not only are we safe from the power of man, we're safe from the fear of the Lord. But we are also safe, my friends, from the eternal punishment of hell. We're safe from the eternal punishment of hell when we trust in the Lord. We'll be, we're safe. And we are also safe from God's fatherly displeasure. So even if we' are in a right, even if we uh, have a, a genuine faith, but we are backsliding, perhaps, we can be subject to God's spanking of us, His fatherly displeasure. But we can be safe from that if we are trusting in the Lord and walking in that way. So, by way of application today, first of all, let me point out to you, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, can do to you. Do not be afraid of what man can do to you. And of course, we saw that, we saw that today uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 3. Remember Daniel chapter, there were, oh, children, there are so many great stories in the book of Daniel, all true, all historical, so many great stories, Daniel and the lion's den we could have looked at, but here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down to that 90 foot tall image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they said, "O king, we respect you, but let it be known to you, we will not, whether you put us in the fiery furnace or not, it doesn't matter. And you remember what happened then. Of course, they were saved. They were preserved, weren't they? They were preserved. See, the way men think about these things was, well, just you know, just go ahead and bow down. I mean, you know, let's be safe, right? But that would have been the worst thing in the world. The true safety came when they trusted in the Lord. And they were the ones that were walking around in the midst of that fiery furnace, but you know who was there? It was the Son of God who was there with them as well. And so we see that in Daniel chapter 3. We already saw that in Psalm 56. Or we can look at Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, the humble, but the proud, he knows From afar, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me, thou wilt stretch out thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the works of thy hands. Don't be afraid what man can do to you. The most a wicked person can do to you is to kill you. Did you notice that? But then, if you are in Christ, and you get killed, you go to heaven, and you're with Jesus. And that's not so bad. And furthermore, someday, that persecutor will die, too. And he will face the judge. So do not be afraid of what man can do to you. Number two. Notice with me that the Lord Jesus is the one who had to walk this gauntlet, had to walk this path. You know, uh, we sang uh, at the beginning of our service from Psalm 40. We sang from Psalm 40. It's a beautiful psalm, uh, speaking of of Jesus. There you find in Psalm 40... um, in, in Psalm 40, verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, and thy law is within. You see, Jesus, first of all, he to honor his God and Father. He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. But he had deep desire to honor his God and Father. But in doing so, he had to face his enemies. He had to face his enemies. Can you see in your mind's eye, can you see the faces of scorn and hatred and contempt of those who wanted to kill Jesus? Can you also sense the demonic spirits that were swirling around him too? Jesus had to go through that. He had to face his enemies. And he had to do so while not being able to experience the comfort of his Father's presence. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As in Daniel chapter 3, he is able to go with us through the fiery trials of life and the oppositions of the enemy precisely because he went through them himself. And so, appreciate and remember that the Lord Jesus had to walk this gauntlet and to do it for us. And then finally, how do you know if you're really trusting in God? How do you know? I was speaking with a gentleman on the street just this afternoon, he wasn't able to make it to church today, but I had a nice chat with him and talking about, about um, basically how do you know if you have faith or if, you're, or if your backslidden condition is is uh, perhaps just something that's an anomaly, if you will. Well, how do you know if you're really trusting in God, not just saying it? Well, first of all, fruit will result. Like the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit will result. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and so forth. Fruit will result. You'll be able to see that. Number two, you'll have a deep desire to please God and will take pleasure in him. You'll have a deep desire to please God and take pleasure in him. Thirdly, wherever he leads, you'll be willing to wherever he leads, you'll be willing to follow. And finally, whatever he says. You'll be willing to listen and to obey. That's how you know. That's how you know if you're trusting in God. And when you do, when you do trust in God, and when you especially trust in Jesus for your salvation, my friends, as the writer of Proverbs 29 says, you will be saved. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And now, our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would apply this message to our hearts. We thank thee for the Lord Jesus. We thank thee that he is the one who walked the path that he did through great temptation and great opposition having to deal not just with what man could do to him, but even the opposition by Satan and the fallen angels. And so we thank thee, Father, that he did that for us. May we never forget that. He did that to provide us with salvation. He did that to provide us with the ability to walk through a similar experience. So, Father, we thank Thee for that, and so continue to work graciously in our hearts and lives. Give us, Lord, faith, and give us the assurance of faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. In closing, please turn to Psalm 138.